Every once in a while, the internet is your friend, right? I had uh, a longtime person that I am a friend with on the internet say, hey, you gotta use Sweet Leaf by Black Sabbath as an <laughs> intro song. And I was like, that's a spectacular idea. So, Bug, that one is for you and for all of you hitting that icky sticky out there. A little Black Sabbath as we kick off episode 177 of The Brian Oak Show here in the Smart Start MN Studios. My name is Brian Oak, along with Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? I am doing well. This morning I found out that our purchase agreement was approved and we bought a house. You bought a house? Yeah, and here's what's a little scary. <clears throat> I hope you have a lot of sugar at your house. Uh, it's like five blocks away from you. Shut up. I'm sorry. Leave me alone. I know. I'm sorry. Isn't it? We already get to spend all this time in the Smart Start MN studio together. Where are you going? We were looking and looking and looking and looking. It's off of 32nd Avenue and 49th Street, just east of Nokomis. So you're just south of the of the creek, and yes. I'm just north yeah. of the creek. Yeah, let's keep that fucking creek in the way. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> that's new border wall. I'm. I'm it's putting... crazy. We looked at all these other houses like this, and we're like, did we ever look at this one? No. Well, we went, cr- looked at it, put an offer in. Got the, got the house. Congratulations. Yeah, so wait you. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me in this market where it's impossible to buy a house, you bought a house. At asking price. What? Did not go over. Yep. That was recently reduced. We jumped on it and we got it and uh, it's the same amount of money as our rent. Yeah. Well, I don't have any sugar and nor um, the, if the lights are off, no ringy, no knocky, no nothing. Brian, Brian. Oh, man. I can only imagine the conversations you and your wife had, who, who by the way, I love your wife, but- yeah. And she loves you. Well, that's good, because now we're a lot closer together. It should be a little easier when you're off on all your realty calls. Anyway, we're in the Smart Start MN studios, and before we get into today's podcast, let's go ahead and mention our good friends at Smart Start MN. If you screw up, if you drink and drive, if you get popped, you're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need a lot of assistance. It's going to be expensive, and it's going to be a long way back to the top just to get back to normal. Lawyers for a DUI, from what I've heard, just kidding, I had one 20 years ago, uh, wildly expensive, not cool, and all kinds of hoops to jump through. You're going to spend more time in government offices just trying to get your regular things back than you could ever have imagined. The last thing you need to worry about is not being able to drive, and if you get popped, you're not going to be able to drive, even if you're not found immediately guilty, Smart Start MN can get you back into your vehicle safely, legally, much sooner and for much less money than you would otherwise expect it to be. With every, with all the driving around to government offices you're going to have to do, you need to drive. Yes, smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. They'll give you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. You weren't trying to nudge your way up gently into asking me to help you move, were you? Well, you already said you were busy that weekend before I even told you what the closing date was. Yeah, exactly. I was no, kinda... I, look, man, my life now, I'm working three jobs, bro. You know what? I'm we're busy. Not, this is the first time in our lives we're not moving ourselves. We already made that executive decision. We're not going to ask our friends. Part of the problem is like half of our friends are sober now. And so it used to be you'd offer somebody a, a case of beer and they'd take all weekend and they'd eat pizza and they'd yeah. barely help you move. But man, did they enjoy that tasty, tasty beer. Well, and you weren't doing it all by yourself, which was no. nice. You just had to make sure enough stuff was moved before the, the beer to moving ratio Yeah, tipped. there's always that friend that's like, uh, they just, they act like they don't know what to move. So I don't, like, I, did you... 
Did you want? I, um, could I, you want this lamp to go, or is that you waiting? Uh, where would you like that? these napkins? And then you're, I, I you're can making, bring these napkins up the and stairs. You're making, you're making like three trips out to the truck yeah. and back before they've moved the one thing. I, I'm a firm believer, unless you are in serious financial straits or only own three things and live like an ascetic monk, that you you reach a certain age and you no longer ask friends to help you move, right? Yes, and I moved so much as a kid that I learned the pre-move. My wife still is not a believer. She's from Iowa, so she's slow. But but wow. she doesn't believe in the pre-move. And I said, the, she's like, what's the pre-move years ago? I said, you move as much shit as you can on the main level and out to the garage before the move. Exactly. Because the fucking day of going up and down stairs is a nightmare. No, it, pre-move, all, people. Pre-move. All, all those people trying to go back and yes, forth on the, the stairs, all of it. Yeah. Get your shit packed up. Have it literally, and maybe not even out to the garage if you're not that ambitious. Yeah. Have it all on the main floor. Exactly. Have it ready to go right there. Have it well labeled. And then also that way, and also labeled on how you do the new house, uh, because like this goes upstairs, this goes to the exactly basement, right. this goes in the yeah. second bedroom, this goes, label it clearly on the box. There are ways to make that move a lot easier. Absolutely. Even craft a ramp if you can. Jesus Christ. That doesn't make it easier. Uh, Sean, but congratulations, <laughs> man. You. And I'm so, yeah. so, so very glad we're going to be neighbors. Our, <laughs> our guest today is um, someone who I've known for a long time. You've known even longer. Yeah. And the very first story we're going to talk about is before he actually got to know either of us, he had mistaken both of us for other people he thought were us. And he oh, was, wow. he, he presumed we were both assholes before he met us in person. And then he realized we were Assholes. Well, but but different, different assholes at least. Before we talk to Dutch, Jimmy Dutch Gaines, uh, a Minnesota local legend, and I mean attached to so many things, so many good stories there. Before we get to him, I always like to play one song first. I can't explain why. I don't. First of all, I don't believe in a guilty pleasure. If you love something, you love something. The end. There's a Spice Girls platinum record plaque hanging on the wall in here. I fucking love Spice Girls, and I'm not going to apologize. Do I love all the songs? No. Do I love the idea of Spice Girls? Very, very much. Now, I don't feel the same way about the, arguably, other than Menudo, maybe internationally the most popular boy band of all time. Well, now BTS has come along and shattered those records. But I'm thinking of the British band One Direction. They broke up. They all got too big for their own britches. Harry Styles is really the only one who's made a significant career for himself. There's Niall Horan. There's a couple other guys in the band. But Harry Styles is the superstar that has erupted from that. And his latest song that he played on the Grammys earlier this year, I can't explain it. It's in my head all the time, and I absolutely love it with no apologies, no shame, no guilt. There's no guilty in this particular pleasure. I love it. We got a seven-inch of this song in the store. I work at a record store in Hopkins, and I was like, oh, I'm grabbing that, walked it all the way up to the counter before I looked at it, and saw that the price was $69.99. $70 for a colored vinyl 12-inch single, or not 12-inch, 7-inch single, with the hit on the front, the instrumental version of the hit on the back, and I'm like, 70 bucks for one and a half versions of this song? That's a $10 cost per inch. Oh, I like your practical That's nature. Real estate. I'm I like I like your practical nature, Sean. <laughs> that being said, I did not buy the seven inch, but I do have a podcast, so we're gonna play Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. Tastes like strawberries on a summer evening. And it sounds just like a song. I want more berries and that summer feeling. 
Bubba Bubba. I cannot explain it, man. I know it's pure pop bubble gum, but I... Do you I, remember Hubba Bubba, that watermelon sugar? Like, it would yeah. last about... <clears throat> 20 eight, seconds. 20 seconds, Maybe. and then it was gone, but... But it didn't stick to your face. I could never... Thing. Yeah, it didn't stick to your face, which was amazing. That was yeah. The, yeah, or your so, beard. Oh. Right up on there, my good man. Otherwise, no one can hear your funny jokes, That's, all right? Oh, we love That's probably for jokes. the best. It is, okay, <laughs> settle down. It is The Brian Oak Show, episode 177. We've done 177 of these. Yeah, it's Have crazy. you started planning for episode 200 yet? Uh, I have, actually. Oh, Christ. That's I'm sorry I asked. Our guest today is Jimmy Dutch Gaines. Now, I don't think that Dutch is his legal middle name, but I could be wrong, and we'll find out. He was uh, born down by the river in... International Falls, the coldest city in the entire country. So that would explain his small, dark heart. Uh, but he has outgrown that. Like one day, like the Grinch, his heart grew three sizes. He spent most of his 20s working at the local paper mill, which I, I also want to know more about. Drove to the South to witness Minneapolis music scene of the 90s, which many of us did. And it was it was truly an incredible place. Spent a good time on the road as a roadie for Martin Zeller and the Hardways. Went off to New York City, where he was twice featured on the cover of the 
onion. <laughs> is that a real story? That's true. Oh my God, That's we have so much to true. talk about. You came back here, you wrote for City Pages. You've just been a fixture in this town forever. And when people ask me, what is the podcast about? To me, it's about talking to the people who are the personalities that sort of compose the fabric of where we live and who we are. Culture, to me, is a real thing. It doesn't have to be ballet. It doesn't have to be sculpture. It doesn't have to be dance, right? To me, culture is the where and the who and the how you live. And I fucking love it here, man. I really do, which is why when it looked like it was all going to burn down a year ago, I got real alarmed. And I know a lot of people did. But to me, you're an intricate part of that particular tapestry. So, uh, Jimmy, it's good to see you, man. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So uh, before we go anywhere else and talk about a couple, a little bit of your younger days, you intimated to me on the way over here that before, I mean, you've gone back with Sean a long time. You guys are both improv dorks. And uh, you and I met through mutual friends and did a bunch of stuff. Look, I'll give you a chance to defend yourself. All right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Um, But you intimated to me that you had heard both Sean's name and my name before you met either of us. And not just one, but both of us, you mistakenly assumed were other guys you had at least run into or heard of before that were absolute jackholes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I remember meeting you in the doorway of the 7th Street entry, right. probably 93, 94. Right around there would have been right, yeah. And, hey, this is Brian Oak, right? Hi, nice to meet you, whatever. And then... But in your head, you're like, that fucking dick. I've heard about that well, asshole. Uh, not, uh, not initially. Oh, okay, And I was like, right. fine. And then later on, I see this other guy and exhibiting some bad behavior. And I was like, oh, that's Brian Oak. Well, well that guy's a dick. <laughs> have anything to do with that guy. So initially, then I was like, I remember talking to some mutual friends. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Brian Oak, he's, he's an asshole. And everybody's like, no, he's a super nice guy. He's a, he's a really great dude. And I was like, no, no, no. no <laughs> and then one, one day, again, in the 7th Street entry, yeah. I see that guy. And I'm like, oh, there's Brian Oak. And then I saw you, and I went, wait, that's Brian Oak, too. They're in the same place? Yeah. you know. I like, want to know who this other dude is, my doppelganger. My, a, my, oh, oh, did he have a goatee on? Was he like Evil Kirk from Star Trek? Something like that, yeah. Interesting. And the same thing happened with Sean. I was just like, oh, this guy's a jerk. Like, okay. <laughs> There's some other baby-faced Irishman. There's a lot here in the Twin Cities. Well, you but never you, know. But, but So did you meet Sean first, then think you saw him again later, and there's that dick? You know, that's that's a good question. I, I can't really. But I, at I, some point you were under. Uh, well, I mean, I, again, there are people who I know to this day believe I'm an asshole and maybe to them I am. And I know that there are people, myself included, who feel that way about Sean that. <laughs> but I mean, like, but but you, you came to understand that despite that original thing that we were actually you were, we were misrepresented by other people who we bore a strong resemblance. Yes, to. exactly. All right. I mean, it's good. just other white people in Minneapolis. No. There's a lot of us here. There's there's 157 people in Minneapolis I found. <laughs> and we all know each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've all so, been in bands it, together. Yep. We've all slept together. It's so. the nature, nature of the business here. In, uh, in uh, So you grew up in International Falls, right? Which, again, is a noteworthy destination, but not a big town. It is, is not a noteworthy destination. Well, it's noteworthy. In, in fact, in the 70s, if you wanted to express the idea of nowhere... You used International Falls. Like well, I mean, die hard commercials, car commercials. Also, um, International Falls, a.k.a. Frostbite Falls. From, exactly. Yes. Rocky from and Bullwinkle. Yes. If you wanted to express the idea of a backwater, like some dog patch. Yeah. 
that that would be international fall. used international falls. I'll tell you on these days where we're hitting 90 degrees with a dew point in the 70s, I'd take your hometown over mine 10 times out of 10, my Well, man. the problem is it's also 90 degrees there with 90% humidity. In the winter, super cold. Everybody knows about that. But right. In the summer, there it's just unbelievably humid and full of bugs. <laughs> it's, oh. It's, those are the two seasons, and neither one of them are great. I think they're going to take away your ambassadorship. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine with me. All right, so the other thing I want to get to about your youth before we start to talk about Minneapolis and music and other things you've been involved with, the fact in your bio, I'd never known this about you before. You worked in a paper mill, and the, we've all done manual labor, right? I mean, every one of, in this, of, yes. of us in this room has done manual labor. I worked factory work for a couple of years. However, a paper mill has a particular odor to it that almost makes you wish you were working on a turkey farm instead. I mean, a paper mill smells every time I've driven by one. The, the, I don't, and I don't know where the odor comes from. So, a, I want to know how'd you get involved with the paper mill. B, what the fuck is making that stench? And C, how did you endure it? Well, it was the industry in town. Right. There's, there's, it's basically a mill town. Right. Um, also, it's the the mill. My dad had worked there for 44 years from the time he was 17. Wow. The time he died when he was 61. Jeez. With a couple of years off to oh. go pick up dead bodies in Korea. Wow. That's what he did. Um, but it was the best job in town. Great unions up there. Um, but it was really mind-bending and the, not the greatest, uh, most not the most enlightened people working there. I understood. Well, I mean, International but, but, Falls in general is not really... Um, not really the the uh, bastion of uh, intellectualism. Not like going to Brown College out east, saying that sort of <laughs> sure. thing. Right, but, but I mean, but it is the industry in town, and that's that's what allows towns like that to exist. So explain to me why paper mills smell that bad. I know that there are chemicals involved. I know that there are certain things involved. But paper mills have this particularly acrid, awful smell that I seem to be like that stays in my nostrils for dozens of miles after I've gotten out of the area. We're, we're on a podcast. We're not on you radio. You can say anything Correct. you want. Correct. So you anything can, you, you can want. go ahead and say that it smells like a fart. It, but I mean, the entire like the worst, town smells like a fart. The worst swamp <laughs> fart you've ever had to stay in the car with with the windows up and the heat on. Yes. On a 90 degree day. On a 90 degree. Yes. Oof. I'm not exactly what um, produces that odor. Okay. But, but it's say, bad. You get used to it. The, that's the funniest thing. People I want to go up there and like, this smells like terrible. Nobody really. It's well, because it's what you smell like. Yeah. I interviewed a guy who worked on a turkey farm. The only reason I made that reference <laughs> is if you drive by a turkey farm in a hot summer day from miles away, you can start to smell it. And I'm like, there are people inside of that thing with 40,000 turkeys right now clipping their beaks off so they don't kill each other. And I can only imagine what it smells like in there. And I interviewed the guy who did that one summer. And he's like, you know, you kind of get used to it. After a few days, you don't really notice it anymore. Well, it's also like any number of things. When you're growing up, you don't know any better. Yeah, true. You know, I'd, I'd never, I'd never, uh, <laughs> I'd never smelled the sweet 
sweet air of, you know, St. Paul. Or Gro- growing up, you just assumed that life smelled like farts. Yes. Plus, if you are, I don't know if your family, this is why they moved there, but they're, I know your family's really oh. gassy. They're never even going to notice that you're farting all the time. Dude, you... That's, that's, I, I often say that's the one good thing about International Falls. Yeah. You can fart anytime, you know, nobody really Dude, knows. Dude, you work at that factory, you can crop dust up and down every hallway. Exactly. No one's ever going to notice. When do you pull the trigger? When do you move down to the cities? Uh, moved in 1999. And, and, and I and, split my time between 1993 and 1999, half in International Falls and half in Minneapolis. And what drew you to Minneapolis? I mean, obviously, when you're a kid, Bright Light's big city, and Minneapolis is the closest destination. But but what in particular pulled you down there? It was not the Bright Light. Well, it was to a certain extent, but the uh, origin story is... Um, uh, I was in my early 20s, mm-hmm. and I'd met this guy named Joe Klebacek, who's one of my oldest friends now. And Joe Klebacek had, was an educated man. He'd been to college. He went to Mankato State. He went to South Dakota State. And he had great college rock in his record collection. So him and I would sit around and drink, you know, like Ham's beer, and we, he'd play, play records for me. And he, played, and he turned me on to The Replacements. He turned me on to, you know... Um, the Rainmakers. Uh, Let my people go, go. I remember <laughs> exactly. very well, Government man. Cheese, all uh-huh. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what else? Uh, you know, the Ramones. He had a big punk rock. I mean, thing, college thing. radio. I mean, yeah. for people who don't remember the the pre alternative explosion, unless you went to cool record stores, the only place to find music that didn't sound like everything else was on the far left end of your FM dial, either community or college radio stations. So you got somebody who understands that stuff and adds that to their collection. I had a couple people do that to me and save my life when I was in my teens. Absolutely. And he, he turned me on that. And then he said at some point, he said, we, you should listen to the Gear Daddies. Because the Gear Daddies, as we all mm-hmm. know, great small town, mm. you know, songs about small town, being drunk, whatever. And... This is a, I, I swear on a stack of Bibles, this is true, and this is how it went down. He played the first song from Let's Go Scare Al by the Gear Daddies, the song called Cut Me Off. Mm-hmm. It started out like the jangly, yeah. thing, and I, I like, I felt something. I felt yeah. something really amazing, and I remember talking, looking at him and going, everything just changed, but I don't know why or how or whatever but just everything changed and it was after that i started you know buying records through the mail i started um i started um getting mail from crackpot records i don't know if you remember crackpot records not off the top uh, of my uh, head uh, david bilgen's uh, oh. um uh, record label yeah it had john eller it had um the picadors it had uh, and by the way, people who don't Gear know Daddies. Picadors, I mean, before there was Honey Dogs, before there were the many offshoots of the Levy Brothers, they were both in Picadors. Yes. Yeah. Along with Chris Lynch. Right. Um, but, it, you know, I started basically getting stuff through the mail and getting on mailing lists and sending away for this and sending away from that catalog, maybe writing a little note. Do you remember the, the, the anticipation of those days? Like, you'd order something, and you'd kind of wait, and you'd wait, and maybe it wasn't at the top of mind, and then you'd get home, and you've got a new CD or a new record oh, in the mail, and you'd go down, and you'd put it on, and you would literally listen to it for the next eight hours over and over and over and over, because, again, 
pre-internet, right? And so you don't have access to everything all the time. And so this was your new thing. This was your, this is what you were binge watching slash binge listening to, right? I remember that feeling so well, going down to Northern Lights once every few weeks, coming back with just a couple records and wearing those effers out, man. I mean, just over and over and over again. Yeah, and I did that for a year or two. And then at some point I got a postcard for a show in Grand Forks. So I drove to Grand Forks to see Martin Zeller, and hmm. uh, he was actually he was playing with the Levy Brothers at the time, and it was, he had a band. Uh, it was Martin Zeller and El Camino. Oh yeah, I remember that with uh, Noah Noah Levy yeah. and, and Adam Levy, and they were great. I ended up meeting those guys. They said, "Hey, we should come. You should come down to Minneapolis and check out our show at First Avenue or whatever." And then I just started showing up. I just started showing every uh, up everywhere, and I started. <laughs> bullshitting my way backstage a lot <laughs> that's how the game works and man. yeah i became friends with a lot of a lot of people down here and i met so many great great people and great artists in such a short amount of time it was just like oh okay here's where i'm supposed to be mm-hmm. yeah. and it was you know the next couple of years were really like so amazing meeting so many great people like you know the frank randall's uh, mike mosdale's jeff gardens mark downey's or um, you know, Chris Lynch and John Eller, John Eller, John Eller. Well, okay. So let's stop right there because I, I know that you're enjoying name dropping right now. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, but, um, dropping, I, name dropping Jeff Gartens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Hey, look, I could tell I, there was, there was glee in your voice before we go any further. I hate to get too far into the show without hearing another song, especially one picked out by our guest and we've gone far enough. You for first have picked out an Eller Lynch tune. Obviously, John Eller and Chris Lynch, their legacy, both separate and together, is, you know, unassailable, right? I mean, they're they're such great artists, never maybe household names to a wider world, but anybody who's paid attention to music in this town in the last 30 years has to know that they're both fantastic. Tell me why you decided to start with Eller Lynch and why this song in particular. Oh, this, uh, this song is really fantastic. It's kind of a, as the kids would say, a banger. Oh, are, would you tell me? Would you say that it slaps? It, it does slap. Okay. It involves right. it, it, it involves slapping. Okay. Um, uh, but it's it's a re- just a really great Eller song. But it has one of my favorite lines of any song ever. In the middle, there's a little breakdown, and he says, uh, "One thing that I know is growing up sure hasn't helped at all." Yeah. 
Nice pull. No one in 177 episodes of the show has ever played an Eller Lynch song before, which I'm now starting to think might be criminal, Jimmy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you had John Eller on here. Yeah, well, but, you know, he's also not one of those self-aggrandizing guys, right? Some people come on and they want to promote their own material. Other people come on and they're like, no, let's promote Superstar, whatever. You know what I mean? Everyone's got their own vibe, and that's the thing on this show. Never a cool contest, never a requirement. You pull the music that you want to have played, and I think that's an excellent one. Before we get back to Jimmy Dutch Gaines, we got to mention a couple things. One is our good friend at Palmer's. Um, Palmer's Bar on the West Bank. Tony's a Cardi, you've been a guest on this show a couple times. Ran into Christy Costello that night, who's also mm-hmm. been a guest on this show. They're doing a great job in helping to bring live music back at the right level here in the Twin Cities right now. And you and I were just at Palmer Fest over the weekend. It was spectacularly good. It was so good. It was nice and breezy, too. But I don't know. I've seen a few shows post-pandemic. I hate to call it post-pandemic because we're still kind of in it. Yeah, right. But... Outdoor show, Farewell Milwaukee, and then Romantica, and man, was that ever good. Well, it, God, the, it was good. The heat had broken. You know how I feel about dinosaur weather. Yes. And it did get a little breezy out there. For a while, it was crazy windy. But Farewell Milwaukee, the live harmonies, and then the beauty and power and majesty of Romantica, it was just really nice. And Palmer's has a great lineup. And that was only one small segment of the entire weekend that was Palm Fest. It was great the whole weekend long, and they've got an entire huge summer with more shows being added all the time of what they're going to be doing out on that back patio. Yeah, and Tony Zaccardi, uh, watching him up there playing, uh, he looked so happy. And after having him on the show, during you know him telling us about sitting in the bar by himself crying during the pandemic after he had purchased this bar, wondering what the hell he was going to do. Mm-hmm. It was a nice little full circle moment there to see him up on stage actually performing at his own club. One of the nicest people in town getting to enjoy a moment and enjoying the success of people coming back out, people thirsty for live music. So they've got it all summer long. Palmersbar.net is where you want to go if you want to see what else they've got scheduled for you. Or if you're just a little parched you can swing by over there on cedar and get yourself a refreshing beverage also want to thank speaking of refreshing beverages forgotten star brewing forgotten star brewing is another brand new sponsor to the brian oak show they're located in fridley but right there on the border of minneapolis and fridley fridley fribley (laughs) that's cool I saw, I've been from the Fribbly. Okay, listen, I don't think you're allowed to say things like that anymore. You can, no, I don't, you can too. I don't know. It was you, a cartoon. I, yes, but, you know, life's a cartoon. Anyway, <laughs> right on the border of Fridley and Minneapolis, right along the railroad tracks, in the midst of a an industrial park, is this incredible brewery, Forgotten Star. We have had them on the show here before. We've talked about their philosophy. They're in this incredibly cool historic building. They don't over art their beer which is one of my favorite things about their their stylistic attitude their aesthetic is you know you go to certain restaurants and they're like oh we're combining these five cultures don't do that i don't i don't nope. need any coriander in my beer okay no. I, or in my food to be well actually that's not true i like coriander but you know what i'm saying they don't they don't <laughs> overthink it they do classic recipes they do them very well they're dog friendly inside and out they also are going to have an entire schedule of music outdoors and they're really good people customer services job one over at Forgotten Star, and um, and they're cool, and they've signed on to be a part of this podcast. You asked me if I had plans for our 200th episode. I'm not sure when that will be, but our two-year anniversary will be at the same time as the anniversary for Forgotten Star. And, and when is that, roughly? Uh, November 12th for us, November 17th for them, but we're going to do a show 
from Forgotten Star. I'm just trying to think. I'm doing the math. If we're at 177, that means we've got 23 episodes till we get to 200. 11 that weeks. That is roughly two every week. 11 weeks is going to be... Probably a little early for that, but we might be able to work something out. Well, we could out. just do a two-year anniversary show. Yeah, we could also do Slash that as well. 200. Anyway, we're going to be involved with them. We're very happy to have them on board. ForgottenStarBrewing.com if you'd like to know more. Jimmy Dutch Gaines is our um, guest right here on the podcast. Now, what I really want, I want to talk about something that I think is very important and that you two, your relationship predates me ever meeting Jimmy way back in the day, and it has to do with improv. But before that, Jimmy, I met you a couple times, but the way I really got to know you, we have a mutual friend, Jason Nagel, but <laughs> I got to know you online because, you know, in the, in the not the earliest days, but when the online thing was happening and suddenly people were internet sensations, locally, you were one of the biggest. I know that you were a writer, and I know that you had done some other things, but you came up with something called Dude weather now i'm a nerd i love science i love atmospheric changes you combined a love of presentation and acting out with a love of meteorological phenomena and i want to know how did you first come up with the for people who've never seen it you should look them up because they're fantastic you would do a weather forecast with bits of news and whatever was happening at the moment involved how did you come up with the notion of dude weather well i i realized that nobody had really parodied the weatherman you know like the, at, the, at the time there was the daily show mm-hmm. there was um uh, and then I think there was like a sports, a sports center satire of some sort was mm-hmm. on, on TV at the same time. And, you know, I'm a big fan of George Carlin mm-hmm. and he oh, yeah. had the hippy dippy weatherman Al yep. Sleet. And then about at the same time, this is in t- 2007, um, uh, my good friend, Mike Fotis at, uh, had, was in a, a sketch comedy show where he had a bit part as a weatherman. And I just realized that, you know, before. Before um, everybody was meteorologist on TV, there were just announcers who would read the news. Right. Like David Letterman was a weatherman in Indiana mm-hmm. before he moved out to California. And I realized there's a difference between being a weatherman and being a meteorologist. Very meteorologist much. is a scientist, and the mm-hmm. weatherman just delivers the weather. Here's what's coming. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can. It was like punk rock. Like <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can do that. Yeah. So all I did DIY was, weatherman. Yeah, I went to the National Weather Service uh, website every day, looked at the the forecast, and then basically gave the forecast. And it was a structure where I could d- deliver a joke or two on either end of the forecast. What well, part of the forecast? But the thing was, the thing that I always loved about it because I am a nerd is it was funny and it clearly was tongue in cheek for much of it. But you also gave the actual forecast, <laughs> which to me was important. I'm like, because I, when I was very young, my wife and I were first together many, many moons ago. I would be watching the Weather Channel when she got home from school, and she's like, are you practicing for retirement? I'm like, this is interesting. And I would sit there. Now, granted, I might have been a little roasted, but I, <laughs> I would sit and watch the weather for 45 minutes. I found it fascinating, and I still do to this day. So I always, always respected the fact that I clearly was aware of what the bit was was but there was always an actual scientific or at least factually accurate nugget in the middle of it well, i'll tell you a little secret that my forecast was only as accurate as paul douglas's forecast that's fine I, he's the scientist <laughs> because okay. he, every day i'm just okay this was what paul douglas says. name a bigger weather nerd and, all and, right yeah 
I tell you what, I love Paul Douglas. In oh, fact, dude, that's he, guy. That guy's a pro. What he did he was, create? He created some particular kind of of weather service too, right? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Before he went to Chicago, he had had invented that. And no, I think he's made untold millions off of that particular service. We don't know what it's called. So I can sit here and call him a a nerd with a tube all I want. That guy is going to be buried in a golden casket. He also, he was a fan and I got to meet him and hang out with him. Come on, really? Him and Shelby in the same day. I went down to CCO. What? One of the the better better days of my life. They both had seen Dude Weather and, and were they fans. Were fans, yeah. Having met Shelby, I'm not surprised because Shelby's Shelby's a goofball, and a pre. I can always tell he's got a good sense of humor. With Douglas, he's so kind of reserved and weird, and I'm I'm not trying to insult him, but a little bit robotic, right? So I'm just surprised he would have reacted so well. But you know what? He probably respected. He's like, that's my fucking forecast right there. <laughs> well, he told me he t- gave me some fantastic advice. He gave me the advice. He said. Whatever, be as vague as you possibly can. <laughs> he goes, because, because if, if you say it's going to be 70 degrees and some woman in Coon Rapids who says yeah. her, you know, her thermometer that's nailed to her tree outside, right. yeah. it says 71, you'll hear about oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he says, also remember that some people believe that you control the weather. And we'll blame <laughs> you for things. <laughs> oh, great weather wizard. How could you have let but, this but happen it's, to it's us? It's absolutely true. Oh, it for sure is. Well, I mean, that's the problem with weather forecasting, right? I mean, as advanced as the science has gotten, it's all based on models. So you're basically going off statistics of what happened before. There's no way to actually know. But but we're better at getting closer to it than we ever have before. That being said, every once in a while, you roll red 23 on the roulette wheel, and it just happens, and there's no way to know. Does the archive of dude weather live on anywhere in one place? Yeah, if you go to put in dude weather in on... Um YouTube or Google. Okay. Um, and not to be confused with the weather dude, who's a completely different guy. Screw that guy. We're talking about dude weather right, right here. All right. We're talking to Jimmy Dutch Games. I want to know because, Sean, you and I have talked about this many times before. In fact, we've had other friends of yours who have been part of the Twin Cities improv world. Yes. And I know that Dutch has as well. Was, was your improv involvement pre-dude weather, during dude weather, or after dude weather? Um, um, all three. Okay. Yep. So, I mean, you've been a part of the, the improv community for a long time. Well, since 2005, I think. And when did you get get on board there? Originally in like 99, and okay. then I went away for a while, and then I came back again. And that's when I was on a team with Dutch. You, so right. you guys are on a team. So, I mean, where are we at here? Are we at the Brave New Workshop? Yep, we the are, old location. <laughs> yeah, we're in the basement. Yeah. Talking about a stinky place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Did it also smell like farts? Uh, Only when, when I, we when left. Sean was around, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. of course. Very good. It, it was a blast. Um, we, I think, you know, we were saying off mic that uh, improv is either really good or it's really bad. Right. And there's people that absolutely fucking hate improv. <laughs> uh-huh. But when you're doing it, it is exhilarating and it's incredibly challenging. And if you're really not pre-thinking everything, it's really, really hard. And you can offend people pretty quickly because yes. you're going with whatever is on the top of your mind. It's not a comedian that says something wrong that he's had scripted out for months. Right. You're literally saying, I once looked at a woman who had a protruded belly oh dear. on stage oh and no. referred to her as pregnant. Oops. And it and it wasn't planned out. It sounds like an asshole thing to say, but it was that I was in the moment with improvising, and we were a couple. And I looked down, and I was like, 
and she's going to have the baby in like four months. And I was like, Oof. shit. <laughs> Wait, it was, was that the girl that kept, uh, always would flash us on stage? No. Remember? No, I know who you're talking about. There was about. some yeah. girl that, yeah. uh, that I can't think of her name, but she would always lift up her shirt really quickly to the back line. Yes. And it was like a nervous, almost like a nervous tick. Yeah. And I remember talking to other teammates going why does she flash us every set yeah it seems like she lifts up her shirt all the time and not to the crowd but to you yes yeah probably a nervous thing because there's people they just you know you there's an energy i i wouldn't say i was overly nervous doing improv but i had this there's this energy where you have to get yourself up for it or it can be really flat well, and so, I mean, with improv, what I've found, because I've gone to more than I would like to admit, you know, friends night out, let's try yeah. something new, we're bored at the same old thing, hey, let's go check this out. Uh, you know, sometimes it's small theater, sometimes it was small improv. Here's what I've found, and this is from an outsider's perspective, I am not a seasoned veteran like yourselves. Even when you're dealing with a championship team, right? Like the Patriots never went 16-0. and There were going to be one or two games a year where they yep. shit the bed, right? Mm-hmm. And so even if you've got a really good team and these people are smart and they're funny, there's no way that and nobody bats a thousand. You're nope. not, and I hate to keep using the sports analogies, but you're never on 100% of the time. You can't be. I don't think that's possible. No, but that's also kind of, that's, um, you remember the Bill Murray said uh, in the Olympics, there should always be one participant. From that's just a general, you know, citizen, like yeah. randomly, you know, pick <laughs> to, to show the context. Right. You yes. know, like you see everybody doing, you know, tumbling. That's brilliant. Stuff. And, and he said, you know, we should, always, there should always be one person or one team that should be just regular people to see how difficult it is to shove a bobsled or oh yeah you know do improv or given that there are literally 800,000 podcasts out there when you go around and listen to the average person who's like I could totally do a podcast yes Mm. there's a couple of things I think that every Mm. person should have to do once in their life one is and it's going to sound silly but wrestle somebody their exact same weight and size just one time (laughs) because it's the it I did it it's the most humiliating or the most gratifying thing you can ever do. And the second one is do actually do improv. And the reason why I say that is that people think it's easy. And and the other thing is it's not all about being a laugh a minute. A lot of improv is about listening and creating uh, characters on the spot and developing relationships. And there's this overall storyline that happens. And that to me is the fun of it. And a lot of times the payoff and maybe the big laughs are at the end, or people just go, holy shit, they brought it all together at the end. So yeah, that, some of the best improv that yeah. I've ever seen was more um, kind of drama-based. Yes. And then, it's not people making jokes. No. If you just make, um, if things grow organically in a scene, things will be funny just because of the nature of it. Oh, yeah. That's that's a big part of it. And and seeing people that are doing it at a high level, it's, it seems very effortless, and, and improv isn't hard to do. It's easy to do, but it's really hard to do well. It's like pick any sport. It's not impossible to do, but to do it at its most extreme level. Exactly. I mean, that's where you get things like the groundlings. That's where you get groups like this that there's a reason that they create superstars of tomorrow because the very, very best of the best. And I think you can say that about virtually any artistic endeavor, right? It's not hard to paint. We could all break out a canvas right now and sit down and do a painting. But if you want to do something that moves people, that inspires people, that people will talk about after they've left, you do have to kind of bring it to a different level. All right, we're going to do this real quick because I oh, did this. No. Some of the best improvisers are kids. 
Yes. Uh, and and we, they do it naturally. They do it naturally, and they're not worried about what people think. So right. an adult's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be funny. Boy, they're going to judge me. But we did this thing called share story, shared story in the car. So we're going to do one real quick, Brian, even though you're going to totally fucking oh. hate it. I knew I shouldn't so have brought this, this garbage so up. So we only Thanks get lot, to, we only get to say one oh, word. We're going to do it very quickly. No, we, we only go. get to say one word. Am I but playing? We, yeah, we go around in the circle until we come up. With, we 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 do it. So I'm going to start out. Once there was a boy who didn't really like his lunch. The end. Maybe that was it. But I mean, but you know, you know, that like, was what, killer. When I was doing Dude Weather, when I met Don Shelby, uh-huh. you know, I said, you know, uh, Paul Douglas gave me some great advice. The great advice that Shelby got gave me, uh-huh. he said, you can fix it in post. <laughs> so Sean, <laughs> that shared story. <laughs> you can feel free. No, I mean we didn't just let it. Cut we didn't, that right we, no, we didn't no, let it no, play out because no. I didn't want to take it up well, on the show. Sure, I, I didn't know where to go. There was the boy who didn't like his lunch. But that was the beginning of the story. Oh, and then the, I go. So yeah, he yeah yeah, but, and whatever. Yeah, but with okay. kids with kids in the car, it can fucking fill up. You know, ninety minutes because kids love it. Well, where was that when I had a three year old? Well. Of course, you now never, at 20, responded at 22, to my pager. She, oh my my pager. Exactly. <laughs> we need another song. We've gone way too long without a song. Up next, you have picked mm, Yum Yum, Rank Strangers. Tell me why Rank <laughs> uh, Strangers and tell me why this song. Because the Rank Strangers are one of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, and I understandably. Mean like with, I mean, really, with the Rolling Stones, oh, the replacements. They are one, they've been so good for so long and haven't really cultivated the the biggest audience, but they're still one of the best local bands. And I, I take that back. Bands, period. Got and they've you. been great for for 25, 27 years now. And um, and like last year, they put out a new record called I Will Make Chaos. And it was just amazing. It was the, uh, the best record of 2020. This isn't on it. Yeah.
Oh, slow fade. The I know you said it's not action. on their latest, but the name I Will Make Chaos is kind of sort of a definitive, simple statement of the era. Yeah, It, it really is. You know, that's well, I, was, I thought of that song on January 6th when the Capitol was being overrun. Now, before allegedly being overrun, I think if it was actually being overrun, <laughs> Dutch, there would be an official investigation because this is America when it was allegedly being, when there was an alleged insurrection. The truth. Yeah, we do know the truth. Before we go any further with Jimmy Dutch Gaines, we got to go a little further with Sean Bernard. In addition to being a roguishly handsome improvisario, what do you call someone who does improv? Improviser. Yep. Improvist. Improvolonio. Improviser. And Im- okay. I was I was going for something a little fancier, but apparently that's yeah. not it. In addition to being a roguishly handsome improviser, dull, uh, you're also a realtor, and you do that for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. You just bought a new house. I mean, does that mean you like broker your own deals and save all those fees? I did save some fees, but yeah. the other cool thing is we paid list price, which was unheard of so that right can now. actually still happen in this day and age yes, i know because can. people are afraid i know they're, they're happy to sell because they're going to make all kinds of money yeah. they're afraid to buy because they're worried they're not going to be able to find a place to live and if you do you're going to pay through the snoot and you actually found a place to live way too close to my house unfortunately uh, but you paid list price we did and we uh we're really excited about it just a small little place is all we need for my wife and i once we're empty nesters here mm-hmm. soon and it's uh, we had a friend we have friends that won't be hearing this because they live in another state and they don't have the internet. But you know, uh, oh, they don't have the internet. <laughs> no, they have the internet. Okay, a wise ass for a change. I see. Gotcha. But when you have a small house and somebody sees it, they go, "Oh, it's so cute. How quaint!" <laughs> and I'm like, "This is charming." Why oh, you just found a way to insult me? <laughs> what, what a charming little home <laughs> exactly. you have here. Now they just bought a massive mansion. In Peoria, Illinois, for two hundred twenty-five thousand. Right, which is not what you could normally do in most it's places. Stupid. Right. So, and I would never do that anyway because I don't like cleaning. But uh, Oof, anyway, if you a lot know, of vacuuming. If you know of somebody looking to buy or sell, six one two eight five nine two five nine four, and I donate a portion of every buy and sell to a local musician of your choice. And so, if you don't know any local musicians, guess what? I do, and they love donations, and we'll get it figured out. Have you ever heard any of my early banjo work? Because I, I love am, your, you have chronic <laughs> banjitosis. I uh, know chronic <laughs> banjosis. <laughs> chronic banjosis is, that is what the name it's of your. Uh, yeah, but I'm really more of a marimba guy. I'm going to be are. honest. So I've we can we can talk more about that later. Tell me one more time. What's your number? Six one two eight five nine two five nine four. All right, very good. Jimmy Dutch Gaines. I don't like to dig into people's lives when I have people in here. I like to have conversations about music, things like that. But you did have some health concerns not too long ago. How are you doing? Are you all right? I'm doing very well. You know, um, as you may know, I had a um, a brain aneurysm that burst in my head a few years ago. Well, I do. And so, again, I did. we didn't really talk about this beforehand, and I don't like to bring up people's health concerns, personal relationships, things like that. But you're going to. Well, no, I just asked you if you were doing okay. We could have left it right there. We could, You brought it up. All right. And so I just I wanted to make sure because, I mean, when people hear that, when they hear brain aneurysm, that's that's heavy, man. I mean, it, that changed the direction of your life. Right? That changed the direction of everything. Yeah. yeah. And it is um, I mean, I I have to really say, you know, thanks to the my my surgical crew at uh, Abbott Northwestern, Dr. Yasha Kayan, um, Anna, uh, everybody who worked there, Dan in the ICU, Abby in the ICU. Um 
those people were just amazing and they they just do that every day every day they deal literally in life and death I, i've gone to visit a few friends in the icu and there's no place quite as miraculous and horrific as the icu I've seen people attached to upwards of 25 different sorts of IVs and things going into their body, people literally clinging to life. And like you said, this team, that is literally their day to day. I wake up and have to go play fucking Maroon 5 on the radio, (laughs) right? They wake up and have to go hold hands, deal with distraught family members and literally help people hold on to this thin mortal veil that we're part of. And and sometimes it doesn't go your way. Right. You know, I spent several weeks there and. Every night, I would just listen to the the hum of the machines and the beeping and stuff. Then at some point, um, probably in the two weeks I was there, um, I would say five or six times, all of a sudden it sounds like a, 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 like someone hit a jackpot on a thing, and everybody runs, and then all of a sudden everything goes qu- quiet except for usually like, you know, someone crying, and you you just know that. It, someone just, you know, stepped off. They're gone. They're gone. And it was a really amazing, really amazing experience. You know, I, it, it wasn't something that I would want to go through again, but uh, actually it ended up being a real positive positive thing which sounds kind of weird well no it doesn't sound weird because i think that there's probably few things in life more valuable than perspective right and experience and it doesn't get much more experiential or perspective giving than being in a place that potentially dire but also watching the true miracles that unfold every day i'm glad that you're healthy i'm glad you're with us i follow you on social media probably more than you'd like to know and there are two things i want to cover before we call it a podcast (laughs) all right one is you there are things that people always say they want to do things that people say they would like to make a part of their life that they would really enjoy and you're literally the only person that i know at least the only person i know who shares it on social media who does it when i was a kid i loved loved flying kites i loved flying kites and it would range from the simple paper you know diamond shaped ones but out on the oregon coast when i'd go visit my family every summer the kite stores there, there were hundreds of them up yeah. and down mm-hmm. the coast because the wind is constantly pouring in off the Pacific seaboard. And so you, I mean, you'd see these giant twirling things in the sky, but the the crispy, rattly plastic dragon kites, super cheap, oh, yes. that have like a 25-foot tail, that was what defined my summer vacations when I was uh, a small boy and a preteen and a teenager. But you, to this day, still go out and fly kites and take these amazing pictures. And I live in awe of it, man. Where did your love of kite flying come from uh you know it was one of those things where i thought to myself i'm like hey this is something that almost everybody did as a kid why aren't we doing that as an adult i couldn't agree more you know you can still do it i, I know i you make, know you make but trip. you do exactly but i've found it's become my zen my meditation and i've tried for years and years to meditate mm-hmm. and i've been unsuccessful because it's just chaos upstairs here mm-hmm. but once i get that kite up in the air that's mm-hmm. what i'm thinking of and nothing else and it was it was really once i realized what was happening i kept doing it and then i started messing around with uh, photographs but um and some of them i i really enjoy and i th- think are great but i'm really excited for this fall because uh, uh frank randall our local musician frank randall from the sycamores of uh, in the 90s is putting out a new record and he's going to use one of my kite <gasps> photos for the cover 
Oh my gosh! And, and Frank has, is, you know, probably four or five years ago, recorded all these songs and has been sitting on them for some unknown reason. Mm. And I love Frank as a songwriter, as a singer. He Sycamore is one of my favorite bands. But the fact that he's using my my picture on the cover of one of his albums, which is coming out in the fall, um, is it was. Just, I'm just so excited for it. I mean. It's got my finger is going to be on the cover. <laughs> See, I was going to reference your technique because the string over the finger is the whole bit in terms of control, in terms of motion. But I, I think the reason I even brought it up, you know, if I just saw a picture of like, oh, this person flies a kite, but you've got this way of traveling all the way up that long string. And even if the kite is very tiny, your pictures are very evocative, man. And every time I see one of your kite flying pictures, it makes me jealous. I, I mean, it makes me happy for you, but it makes me wonder, like, I loved it so much as a kid. Why don't I do it now? You can do that for, like, $4. I'm dead inside. That's the problem. It's a, Dutch, you know. <laughs> dead. So I don't, I don't even know that a kite can pull me back up out of the ground. It's, it's really amazing how, how cheap and easy, and you could just go do it, and it doesn't take that long. A lot of people think I spend hours out there. Right. Well, yeah for a half hour 15 well, and minutes, i live you know, right on the parkway right and so i mean you know they're most of the day all those softball you know uh diamonds and soccer fields are completely empty it would be an ideal place to do it you just have to find the right day the right weather conditions and not be such a little bitch brian sorry i'm having a conversation with myself right now maybe if you take on another couple of jobs you'd have more time <laughs> <laughs> but, it's but, true it's been a little busy <laughs> but it is but it is as you said a zen thing and once you get it up there and it doesn't always go up right away but once you get it to that right altitude and it's flying and you're control because you're not doing like a stunt kite right no. with no. the double handles and stuff like that just a simple kite i buy i buy the cheapest kites because you know you're going to lose a few kites and, mm-hmm. and the thing, you know, oh yeah the, the kite eating tree Yes, you know, and any, Charlie Brown. Any, any number of things, you know, string disasters. Right. But the 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 kite that I I use mostly right now, uh, nineteen cents. When I was a kid in Austin, Texas, lived down there with my mom during an incredibly chaotic time of my life. I would go buy kites, but I kind of came up with this other idea, and I'd buy fishing line. Yeah. And I would get that effing kite so high up <laughs> into the sky, but it was it was. You know, it is a form of meditation. You know, it's just you and the kite and the control of it and the sound. And the fishing line itself would make this whirling sound and this high-pitched noise, and it was just freaking hypnotic and incredible. Have, but have you ever tried, uh, because I've flown a kite with a fishing line, too. Do you ever have uh, that bite into your finger? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's not fun. That stopped. With yeah, yeah. I, I, le- I learned to I wear, I'd wear a glove with it because it would. It would bite into your finger. Yeah, then badly. you don't do the finger technique. No, you that'll, don't. No, that'll no, you cut don't. in nice and deep right away. I try, I try to nice, use a nice natural fiber, yeah. cotton string. <laughs> yeah, what, exactly. kind of, uh, what kind of a gauge string are you going with? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, you know, I shouldn't say that because my friend Joe Garden, uh, who used to be a writer at The Onion, mm-hmm. yeah, and who is now a self-proclaimed uh, junk man, he uh, he found at an estate sale. He found a box full of kite string. Uh, uh, I think it was like it might have been made by 3M too. It's like a wow. Scotch pack or something. And he sent me a box of all these little things of the string. There's over a mile of string that he sent. Me. Wow! <laughs> so you're set for a while. I'm set for a while. It's really fantastic. You know? uh-huh. And and in, and Joe's one of those guys who went. Oh, saw this, thought of me. Yeah. Sent it to me. He lives out in upstate New York now. 
So he like it took time and effort to send me, but it was. But, but it was you just really identified fantastic. the happiness of life right there. That it isn't about. You know, I just a good friend of mine was just in town from New York. I won't go into his whole story, but he was really depressed, and he's written a book. He's fucking worked for the UN. He's done all these things, but he's really sad you know, with his life. And I'm like, you know, I, I've kind of realized I'm not going to do anything big in my life. I've given up on all those things. I'm actually pretty happy with the small stuff, and just the fact that your friend thought of you. Saw this kite string and fucking took the moment to send it to you, and you were like, "Holy shit, how cool is that?" Yeah, I yeah. think that might be it. That might be all we can ask for yes. in this life, and not too fucking bad if that's well, what it is. But I know? will say that I think most people lead pretty boring lives. Yeah, they do. So anything out of the ordinary that you do is 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 is, is exciting. You know? There are way worse designations than being the kite guy. In yes. fact, I think the kite guy is pretty fucking I, cool. I love that I'm associated with kites. Yeah. People send me links, and yeah. or a friend of mine bought me a really fancy kite. Yeah, and I was just like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> no, usually I'm just throwing SpongeBob up trophy. in the sky, yeah. a trophy kite. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't want to lose it either no, or mess it up. No. Like, but you know that you know, that Superman kite or Batman oh, kite. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, and that nineteenth center, and yeah, exactly. Actually, the nineteenth center is actually a good fabric kite. Is it really? But it doesn't fly very well. well but where? Really where do you get a nineteenth? I, I bought it on clearance because nobody else was buying it at the grocery store. I went <laughs> well, by. I, mean, I went by it for weeks, and I thought, okay, this kite's fourteen dollars. I'm not paying fourteen dollars for a kite, right? right? And then at some point it said clearance nineteen cents, and I was like, <laughs> "You have sold." In fact, that's I the bought, kite for me. I bought all the kites <laughs> because then you know what? Because there are kite eating trees, and sometimes yes. all of a sudden the wind stops being your friend, which I think is another important metaphor for life. Jimmy, we got to wrap up, man. Um, but it's been wonderful to have you here. Before we let you go, I do got to thank Forgotten Star Brewing. We have to thank Smart Start MN for being the primary sponsor of this show. We have to thank. Palmers, who are going yes. to have a great summer series, palmersbar.net. Got to thank Sean Bernard, whether or not I feel like it, but I got to thank him. I can't believe you you, you pulled me into improv in the middle of this podcast. I did it because I knew it would make you uncomfortable. Well, that was my thank goal. You. That's thank usually you. my goal. Oh, I, oh, so that was, was that growth? Is that what I experienced there? Next fucking thing is you're going to fly a kite between now and the next episode. Actually, that's not a terrible idea. No. I might actually go out with Jimmy and do that. I like um, but I also got to thank Audio Equip. They're the ones oh. who provide us with all the equipment here in the studio. And now that the world is opening up again, Possibly a little too fast, but there are live shows happening. People are giving TED Talks again. They have the audio equipment you need, no matter what you're into. Audio equip, but make sure you look for the one that's here in Minnesota because there are other people who have stolen the name audio equip, and we're not trying to send you in their direction. Uh, we're going to wrap up episode 177, but before we say goodbye, Mr. Dutch Gaines, you picked, you picked a really important artist here um, that I think... As much as people who are part of this scene, as much as people who pay attention to Minnesota music know and revere this guy, I think outside of that very tight inner circle, he's criminally unknown. Now, and I, I know that like, to some people that's like, what are you talking about? He's a fucking legend. And I get that. I know he's a legend. But I think you also know what I mean, that if you get a little bit out of this, out of the circle that we all occupy, where people are really, really well aware of what's happened in Minnesota music, what's happened for the last 40, 50 years of Minnesota music, there's a sharp drop off. There are a lot of people who don't have any idea who the hell Slim Dunlap is, but you've chosen him as your final song and you've chosen a song that I 
really can't get through without crying. So I wanted to, I want you to tell me why you chose to wrap things up with Mr. Dunlap and why you chose this song. Well, there's a lot of Slim Dunlap music that I love. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, there's hardly, I'm hard pressed to think of anybody, any person that I love more than Slim and his wife, Chrissy mm-hmm. uh, Dunlap. And like I said, like you said, it's hard to get through this without... I can't even think about it, man. Without, so, I mean, without you, crying. Also, also, you should know that I've cried on at least half the episode of the show, <laughs> and I'm, I am I am Thanks not lot, fucking Dutch. joking. I'm not fucking joking. So you can let it all hang out, man. Slim matters, and what's happened to him? His health is not great. Yeah, it is not. But he's still hanging in there, and that he guy is. has a st- very certain lust for life that we'll never know about. Well, you know, because, but um, this this song. Uh, I often think it's a really touching song, a meaningful song, um, but it's also probably the best song you'll ever hear that was written in a Hardee's. <laughs> I, I believe you, but I was getting ready to let the tears flow, <laughs> and you fucking sucker punched me, Dutch. No, he wrote this. His, his band caught fire. His, his van caught fire. Uh-huh. He lost a bunch of his equipment. He was on tour. The, you know, whatever. had canceled the tour, and... Then he got a uh, ride with the tow truck driver to a local Hardee's, called his wife, said, we're okay, everybody's all right. And then he sat down in, in a Hardee's in the middle of nowhere and wrote this song. See, that's actually only going to make me cry harder when we actually fucking listen to this. <laughs> Dutch, be well, man. You'll come back and do this again sometime, right. won't you? Thanks, Thanks for having me. All right, Sean, I'll talk to you next time. Episode 177 of the Brian Oak Show. Here it is, Slim Dunlap, Times Like This. And we still got that one